0: The scripture reading today is from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, before we begin, I want to put something, uh, I think, exciting on your radar, just picking up from what you heard there uh, in the mosaic in a minute uh, announcement video, something we're calling our For the Love campaign. Some, this is something we, we will be beginning the Sunday after Labor Day. So in three weeks, we'll be doing a handful of things. First, we'll be mm, challenging you to get involved with a community group if you're not, because we want to do a few things with that. Again, first of all, we're asking you to get involved uh, with the group here these next few weeks in August. Because our groups will be meeting consecutive weeks in September, all to be able to pull off and execute a, a sort of a small scale service project all around the city. We're sort of asking the question, what if we, what if we mobilized for the love of our neighbors to be present Christian witnesses across the city? But you got to be in a group to be a part of that. So again, it all starts this month, so you can connect online to that blue card or in the lobby today on your way out. Here we go we are looking uh, as you can see at the love of God and the Gospel of John we're sort of at the the, the front end of this brand new series and here's why we're looking at John uh, if you look at the four different accounts in the New Testament uh, the life of Jesus called the Gospels uh, these are the accounts that the Christian church has always said yes those accurately reflect and describe the life of Jesus you'll see that each of those four puts a different lens on the life and the person of Jesus for example Matthew's Gospel shows that Jesus came from from Abraham, showing he was the Messiah promised in the Hebrew Scriptures. Mark's Gospel shows that Jesus came from some nowhere's little place called Nazareth, showing he was a humble servant. Luke's Gospel shows that he came from Adam, showing he's the perfect man. But John's Gospel does something else. John takes great pains to show, not that Jesus came from a person or a place. John tells you, Jesus came from God. He came from God. And you can see that clearly in verse 18 where John says this. No one's ever seen God, but the one and only son, it's Jesus, who is himself God. So John's claiming here, Jesus came from God. And here in the same verse, John goes on to say, well, then here's why that's important. Here's why Jesus came. You ever wonder that? Why did Jesus come? John is about to tell you. He says he's in closest relationship with the father. He, that's Jesus, has made him known. So John's saying the reason, the whole reason Jesus came was to make God known. This is the Greek word exigeomai. Exigeomai. It means to unfold or unpack like you bring things out of a suitcase or out of a backpack. Jesus has come to unpack, to unfold who God is and what that means. And last week, as we saw Jesus in making God known, not only claim to be God himself, he says there's this other person within God called the Holy Spirit, and he says the Holy Spirit is God too. Jesus is unpacking now the Christian definition of who God is. There's one God in three persons, and John's showing us here, Jesus has come to exegeo my, that, to unpack that, to unfold what that means. So what does that mean? How does all of that shape how we live? And I think that's a really important question because if there really is a God, and there is, if Jesus really is God, Christians have said he is, and Jesus came to show us that God is try personal if that's true and i believe it is then really i don't think there's a more important question to ask than this here's my question today what does it mean then to be a trinitarian people what does it mean to be a trinitarian people now i heard galen go "Mm," the rest of you kind of sat silent staring at the screen because you're thinking why is it so just like theological language what it is like a seminar now listen if you're here and you're not a christian or if you're new to Mosaic today, and you're sort of kicking tires, or you're sort of new to church, let me tell you, though, even though you may be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? Let me tell you, you could not have picked a better Sunday to be here, because you're about to hear what I think, I hope, is one of the clearest uh, explanations, unfoldings, unpackings of what it means to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower, Question again, what does it mean to be a Trinitarian people? There are almost limitless uh, implications, applications of this, but I want to give you eight things that I think it means. Now, I know some of you at this point aren't even listening to me because you're thinking, he said eight things. And like this sermon, you only get like three, max four, you know, if he's feeling lucky. But apparently he must be feeling real lucky today. Mom, can he do that? Can he do eight? The answer is yes, he can. Yes, he can. All right. He can do it. He can do it. You're rooting for me. I feel this. All right. Question. What does it mean to be a Trinitarian? People, I'm going to give you eight. And as we move through these eight, I'm going to ask you, a little social experiment here, to read out the names of these or the list of these implications as we go. Number one, let's read this together. It means, I know, that relationships matter more than success. You did great. All right. You got seven more. Don't get tired. All right. Uh, augustine heard from him last week that great african theologian philosopher he asked this he said he asked why did god make the universe why did god make the universe he said your answer to that question will absolutely drive how you live he said you think about it if a triune god three persons within that god has existed from all eternity then god did not make you because he was lonely He didn't make you because he needed somebody. No, God's always been loved and he's experienced love and given love within himself before he ever made anything. Therefore, love comes before work. Love comes before creation. God loved before he ever created anything. And therefore, if you, when a person becomes a workaholic, if you put all your weight uh, and meaning in life into your career, you're going against the grain of reality. See, as Lewis said, you unleash hell on earth. The Trinity means that friendship, relationship, family, love, they're more important than career. Oh, but in America, how many of you know, we get it backward, don't we? We say career come first, I come first. I wanna, we want to put our name, my name on that thing. But let me ask you, I tell you, flash forward to your deathbed. Will your career come hold your hand? Will your career wipe your drool? Or anything else for that matter, right? No, who do you want next to you? You want what matters most, who means most, people who love you, Will you say on your deathbed. Be gone, faithful spouse. Away from me, loving children. What I really want is one more crack at that TPS report. I want to spend one more day at the office. No. You'll ask, where's my family? Where are my loved ones? Why? Because the Trinity means what we all know to be true. Love, family relationships are more important than career Success and work. To know who God is is to know that number two. Read this with me. <laughs> it means I know that my humanity matters. That's what it means to be a Trinitarian people. Uh, listen, love, for years of my life, I lived. Maybe you've lived this life too, or maybe you're married to someone who's lived like this. I lived as if my humanity. Were the problem. I abused my body through overwork, didn't listen to number one, could have helped if I'd have had somebody back in the day. I looked down uh, on my emotions as like frivolous, uh, ignored my feelings, saw those things and others as weakness, right? And yet, if God so loved the world and Jesus came to show us that, how better to do that than becoming human? Himself. What greater message can you give to communicate to somebody that you that you love them, that you're with them, that you're uh, standing in solidarity with them, than to become like them? What did the Word become? Word became flesh. Right. This is showing us. Hear me. That God loves the humanity of humanity. Humanity of humanity. Let me tell you. Your humanity is not your problem. Your body is not your problem. You say, well, it's feeling a little creaky. Okay, I get that. But fundamentally, not your problem. Your emotions, like anger, they're not your problem. Your sin is. You got a sin problem. That's your big problem. Sinfulness twists your body, twists your humanity, distorts your emotions. But your humanity is not a problem. God didn't make you a god. He made you, he made us humans, and in the world to come, we still will not be gods. We will still be humans, be fully human, still have bodies, still eat, still have emotions. Why? Because our humanity matters. Now, here's what devaluing your humanity sounds like. Maybe it sounds like this it sounds like you ignoring your body, saying things like, Body, who cares about rest, exercise, nutrition? I'm going to die one day anyway. And you forget Jesus regularly left his work to rest and recover. Devaluing humanity sounds like ignoring your emotions, feelings. Who cares how I feel? That kind of stuff is for the weak, right? And you forget that Jesus wept at his friend's funeral and begged God to get out of the suffering and pain of the cross. It sounds like ignoring your mind, like develop your intellect, like study the heart is what counts. And you forget Jesus commanded you to love God with all your mind your mind look at this quote great quote from a book cry of the soul theologians dan allender trimper longman good men they said this ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality listening to our emotions ushers us into reality and reality is where we meet god emotions are the language of the soul they are the cry that gives the heart a voice however we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial distortion or engagement we strain out anything disturbing in order to gain Tenuous control of our inner world, we are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. But in neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God because we forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Let me ask you, do you honor the limits God puts on you as a human being? Are you emotionally available for those around you? Listen, the Trinitarian people know that in becoming flesh, Jesus shows that God loves the humanity of humanity. Number two, what else do we know? What else do you know? Number three, read this with me. It means I know that my holiness matters. Not just my humanity, but my holiness. Because how did Jesus appear, John, tells you full of what? Grace and truth. Now, if you'll grant me that last point was abundantly grace filled for you, let me just press on the other part of this our need for truth. Did you know that, in contrast perhaps to much of popular cultural opinion today, Jesus did not walk around in super skinny jeans, sipping like some soy based, you know, non fat grande mix, giving out free hugs, even though free hugs are wonderful, right? And telling people, I'm okay, you're okay. That's not how he rolled. Think about it. When he met this woman in John chapter 8 later on in the book, she's sinning sexually. What did he tell her? Not I'm okay, you're okay. He says, go and leave your life of sin. Again, he, he, he rebuked those who were shaming her, the culture of shame regarding her choices, but he never backs down calling her choice sin. He says to uh, people he's teaching, hey, you, hey, uh, forgive. The people who offend you endlessly. Uh, James and John, uh, y'all get, you need to quit asking for power. And by the way, why don't you tell your um, helicopter mom to like butt out of my spiritual campaign thing I'm doing here because, uh, you know, you need to be men on your own for once. If you know that story. Hey, rich young ruler, give everything you have to follow me. And then you can be my disciple. Peter, you're reminding me of Satan right now. Have a seat. Disciples, how long must I put up with you? Why does he say these things to those who are following him? Hebrews, the book, puts it like this. Without holiness, no man, no woman, no person will see the Lord. If we don't live like Jesus followers, right? We shouldn't expect others to follow him either. Frederick Nietzsche, great skeptic, put it like this. He says, if you want me to believe in your redeemer you're going to have to look a little more redeemed. We're applauding Nietzsche today. Very good. All right. Hey, Hey, church. I had a professor in seminary, a great uh, Korean professor, a lady named Dr. Sun Kim, and she told the story of how she and her husband moved to Jordan as missionaries right in the middle of that Jordanian-Syrian conflict, and her husband was an English teacher, they taught English to the Jordanian people, and she talked about in her work there how no one had come to faith for five years five years no no person no muslim person come to faith she was so discouraged she wanted to quit her work and then she said over the period of two weeks ten women came to faith ten muslim women came to faith in jesus what had happened two things first of all they all came and said to her we have been watching you and your husband for years we've been watching how you live there is something different about you and second they all said ten women We have been having dreams about this person named Jesus. Can you help us see? Oh, Dr. Kim knew a Trinitarian people know that holiness, how we live, matters. What else do you know? Number four, here's what you know. Read this with me. It means I know that justice matters. Have you ever wondered what Jesus's first sermon was? Maybe some of you know this. Uh, Luke's gospel, the one most concerned with chronology, it tells you. Everybody's real still now. All right. Don't be that guy our lady. All right. All good. All good. Here's the picture. Luke 4, Jesus has been growing in his popularity. He's doing miracles. He's just getting going. He's healing people. People are asking, who is he? Who are you? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? And then on the Sabbath day, it says, Luke 4, Jesus goes to the synagogue like a good Jewish man would do, and he stands up in front of that synagogue in his own hometown, Nazareth. He, he looks at all the people around him and he says, hand me a scroll. And he gets the scroll, the scroll, the book of Isaiah. He opens it up to one spot. And this is what he reads. Jesus' first sermon. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says, after reading it, he sat down and said today the scripture is fulfilled talk about your ultimate mic drop you know like but why why does this matter well think about it think about jesus right the son of god if you just go with me on this if it's new for you he's got an eternity to consider what his first message would be he could have chosen any bit of the hebrew scriptures to quote he could have chosen any passage picked any topic and what does he pick to talk about for sermon? He talks about justice. He literally says, God sent me to free the oppressed. And then he says, at the end of his life, post resurrection, Jesus, again go with me here. Jesus says now to his disciples, As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. What did he send the Father send him and do? Free the oppressed. Some of you may know the names of Arthur and Lewis Tappan. A little history uh, for you. Two brothers are from New York, two extraordinarily wealthy businessmen in the 1800s. They were not only extraordinarily wealthy, but they were devout Christians and staunch abolitionists. They they saw the mission of Jesus as both saving souls and doing social justice. They lived on a fraction of their income. They gave away so much money, it was insane. They once calculated how much money it would take to give a Bible to every man. Man, woman, and child in America... And then they stroked the check to the American Bible Society to make it happen. They gave enormously to their local church, led by the famous Charles Finney, if you know that name, to build buildings, fund uh, outreaches. And they were also the major backers, financial backers, of the entire abolitionist movement. They were the ones who funded the Supreme Court case for the Amistad. That's the ship, the, this whole story about which Steven Spielberg made his movie, No Tapping Brothers, No Case, No Steven Spielberg movie. They funded the case. They funded the return of the surviving slaves back to their homeland where they had been adopted from. And the pro though, the pro-slavery movement, including pro-slavery Christian ministers in the South, hated the Tappan brothers, made them a target. One Christian minister in the South put a bounty on their heads to anybody who would bring them to the South to face mob justice. A pro-slavery mob in New York attacked Lewis's home and burned down his house. And you know what he did? For months, on purpose, he left it just like it was. He called his burned down home a silent anti-slavery preacher for the city. When people started boycotting their businesses because of the stance on slavery. When the city said, you're getting too political about this. Arthur said this to the city of New York business community who was pressuring him to back down. Here's what he said. He said, you demand that I shall cease my anti-slavery labors. He said, I will be hung first and they went beyond just believing for the eradication of slavery their goal was to realize a just society free from prejudice saw the eradication of slavery as the first step and Lewis Tappan was especially here this concerned for creating diverse environments for children so they would be sensitive to issues of race that so that adults of all skin colors would he said quote be able to meet at the polls look at his vision sit on juries attend political meetings practice at the bar unite in processions and mingle with their fellow man in the various walks of life on equal terms as the religion of jesus and the laws of a land require where did he get that kind of vision he told you from Jesus. straight from Jesus. They understood the mission of Jesus. This is also a mission of justice. And when Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation near the end of Tappan's life, Lewis's life, Lewis wrote a little poem to commemorate the moment. Look at what he said. He said, judge not a virtue by the name or think to read it on the skin. Honor in black and white the same. The stamp of glory is within Ooh, the Imago Day ran so deep in MZ. Listen, people tell me all the time, Morgan, it's nice. We talk about race, justice, stuff at this church. But if our mission, listen, this is kind of missing the point, because our mission ought to be just to make disciples. And if we just made disciples, everything would be okay. But do you know what that's saying? That's saying that justice and discipleship are two different things. They're two separate conversations, and I agree. We have been sent to make disciples, but let me tell you, because Jesus made it a discipleship issue, justice is a discipleship issue, just like your giving is a discipleship issue, like your fasting is a discipleship issue, like your prayer life is a discipleship issue, because what is discipleship if not to follow Jesus, and what does following Jesus mean other than to care about what he cares about? He said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. See, a Trinitarian people know that justice matters. Number five, say this with me now, if I still got you here. All right. Say, it means the local church matters. I right, are rolling through these. Now, let me tell you, there's this true story about this pastor, uh, guy that I know, man, he's, uh, about, about five, ten. Uh, he's really good looking. Uh, he's got these, like, you know, amazing wife, four incredible kids. Uh, maybe you'll meet him one day or listen, be forced to have him, you know, talk to you. But anyway, he tells this, he told me this story about this, his first day as the lead pastor of this church. He said the church was in a tough place and they invited him to come and be the lead pastor and he was excited to get there and help all the people who needed his help and he said he got there he told me about his first Sunday he says here's my first Sunday he said he got there and as he walked in the very first person was this kind looking lady it was like near the front of the church and he thought here's the first person I can help and so the he walked up to the lady and the lady walked up to him and she said oh pastor pastor literally she said I need your help and he said of course you do you know he thought, it is me after all, stand back, Christian person, as I go to help you. And, but she said this, she said, it's the devil, it's the devil, he's in me, he's going to get me, I can't stop thinking about him, he's in my mind. And then she said, but I can't talk about it anymore, I've got to go hold the babies in the nursery, goodbye. <laughs> he told me, he thought, what just happened? still no matter uh, he said there are plenty of people that he could help next so he said he made his way to the other side of the building where the very next person he ran into said this gentleman said so you're the new pastor huh he said uh, uh who wants to know yes i am he said uh so the, the gentleman said so what do you think about the end times the book of revelation what's the mark of the beast who is the antichrist He said he sort of mumbled out, well, traditionally, there's sort of, you know, four historically, you know, uh, accepted versions, interpretive grids for the book of Revelation. The man cut him off and said, "Uh, well, don't you think you ought to know more about it if you're a pastor? He said, I I said, I guess, (laughs) uh, and asked where the restroom was. He ducked in the restroom, gave himself his best mm, Stuart Smalley pep talk, tried to convince himself that he could help these people. The service began, thank God. During the time of worship, people were invited up front, like you saw a moment ago. And he said he was beyond nervous, but he went down as a prayer leader after all he said, I've got a title. I think I'm supposed to go. Then came up the very first person for him to pray for. He was thinking, I can do this. You know, what's it gonna be? Like a miracle. You know, a healing, like maybe even like a hug, you know, a Bible verse. I know the Bible. He said, what'd she say? This lady, as she approached him, would she say? I'm so glad you're finally here to help. And then she said this to that person. She said, I'm thinking about leaving the church now that you're here. Would you pray for me to know whether I should leave or not? He said the sheer shock caused him to block out whatever went down next. He said he got this case of what he called a PTFSD. Sort of like what you heard, it's Pastor's Traumatic First Sunday Disorder. But he thought, okay, shake it off. You can still help the people through the sermon. But he's up against some high expectations. Previous pastor, a great Bible teacher, well-respected, all that. People were accustomed to, you know, great Bible teaching. So what did he bring? Oh, some really clever attempt at being relevant. The title was... Why, the answer is a mystery. The response, crickets, silence, nada. He said, you know, the only good thing about that sermon? I said, what? He said, it was better than the next week's. (laughs) My first day here, yeah. Of course, again, it's me, if you haven't caught the implication there. I learned later, looking back, I had totally failed The people of Mosaic that day because I thought I was the one who could help them, fix them, make them all right. Looking back, I learned what was the point of the whole day. I was the one who needed help, I was the one who needed to learn. I was no better than that. Mm, odd quirky lady down front, the guy in the breezeway, the strange man or anybody else because the local church is not a place where perfect people come. See, part of what our holiness means, what grows us in holiness is our repentance, which is where we apologize, where we say, I'm sorry, where we grow in our ability to love and be loved, where we forgive and ask for forgiveness. See, the local church, here's why it matters. It's the place where we practice Trinitarian love. It's what we do here. A Trinitarian people know the local church matters. We get to practice that ancient love on one another. And when we do that, let me tell you, when we do it unconditionally, like it's been done for me here with you all, it makes us all better. Let me be a, a quicker on a couple of these. Number six, read this with me. It means, uh, I know that my worship, matters. Worship matters. See all the implications here? Let me give you a a, a definition, a working definition of worship. Here we go. Worship is homecoming. Let me submit that to you. Worship is homecoming. Do you know what moves my heart the most in worship? Let me tell you. It's not the song selection, although it's nice when they do my favorite song. It's not the worship leader, although they're amazing. It's not even the beat, though that's important. What moves my heart the most, in a way, hear me now, What moves my heart the most is my theology. Here's what I mean. When I begin to remember that worship means I am going back into the heart of God. When I remember that a loving community, the Trinity, the 3-1 God, is welcoming me home again. When I remember that God has been waiting on me to walk back into his heart. That moves me. It moves me. I begin to move in what C.S. Lewis called the rhythm of the universe. And over the years, let me tell you, I've been physically healed in worship. I've been emotionally healed in worship. I've seen visions in worship. God speaks to me in worship. Not because I'm somebody special or deserve it. I'm just so desperate for him. I'm just so uh, needy for him to encounter him. All of a sudden, like a straw that was moving against the wind, I go back in. Spirit comes, like we sang today, moves right on through. In the same way that great worship teams aren't performing, but leading people into God's presence. Great worshipers don't go through the motions. They come hungry to come home every week. Come hungry to come home every week because worship is homecoming. Our worship matters. Number seven, with me again. Here we go. A Trinitarian people know it means we know that our work matters. Our work matters. I'll be brief. Let me tell you, God did not put you here just to live ethically. That matters. Don't want to go to jail. Do you know? Uh, or just to do evangelism, though, that matters. He's got gifts he's put in you that only you can do. Think about it. The three one God had a unique mission for the son as a human being. There was something that Jesus could only do as a human being. And because you're also, you are made in the image of God, there's something that only you can do as well. The Christian gospel, let me tell you, is not that work is beneath us because it wasn't beneath Jesus. Jesus lived more than a decade, we believe, as a simple carpenter in obscurity. Let me ask you, was that Time wasted. Was that time wasted? Your answer to that tells me how you approach your work. How you feel about your work right now. Was his time in, in his building tables in obscurity, was it wasted? No. The Christian the gospel has always said no because our work matters. Your work matters. God sees it all and is moving it all together to make something out of it all. So many implications of this. Evangelism matters. Missions matter. Service matter. But I've only got time here for one more. Read this with me now. It means I know that my suffering matters. Suffering matters. Perhaps the most staggering implication of John 1 is that in becoming human, God knows what it's like to suffer. There's a Christian author by the name of Joe Bailey. And Joe Bailey lost... He buried three of his own sons, three of his children, three sons died on him. And he wrote a book about moving through all of it, going through all of it. The book was called The View from a Hearse. Look at that. What a great cover. Look at that. The View from a Hearse. And this is what he wrote about one moment he experienced at the funeral of his third son. Son, can you imagine? He said, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another man came, and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more. Listened when I said something. Answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Why was that? Here's why. It's because when you go through extreme pain, through extreme suffering, that's like, that's like trying to get over a high, nearly impassable, snowy mountain pass in winter. What do you need to get over that mountain pass in the winter? What do you need? Well, on one hand, you need a map, right? You need a map because you need to, to know where you're going. A map gives you good information. But if you don't have the strength to make it, A map is irrelevant. The map is helpful. Uh, It's like intellectual answers when you're suffering. And it helps you know where to go, where not to go. But if your body and your soul are exhausted, there's no way you'll make it through. Even with a map, you'll die in the cold. And yet, even if you had no idea of where to go, if you had enough emotional fuel, strength, stamina, and resolve, you could make it through anything. Those answers, intellectual answers, are like a map. They point you so you don't get lost. And yet, what did Joe Bailey say that he needed? Same thing we need. Joe Bailey didn't need a map, he needed a presence. A presence. Can you see that? The greatest of all Bible sufferers, a man named Job, at the lowest point of his suffering, chapter 19, Job 19, he cried out. He said, everyone's deserted me. They've all gone away. My wife has deserted me. My friends, my family, the little children of the village, they won't come near me. Everyone has abandoned me or doesn't understand me. Job is saying here, he's saying, I don't have a presence. He's saying, I'm all alone. There's no one. And Job despairs. He's crying, he cried out, I need to know someone's for me in my suffering. I need to know someone's with me in my pain. And Job said, if I had that, I could make it. But let me tell you, what Job only longed for, we can have. Because only Christianity says that Jesus Christ as God, came into our world and identified with our suffering. In a world full of funerals, Jesus has come into ours and then went to his own. Went to his own. He didn't bring us a map. He brought us himself. Brought us himself. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He brought us himself to live the life we could not live. He brought us himself to die the death we could not die. He brought us himself to save us, not from death, but through death one day. He brought us himself because it was the greatest thing he could bring in the end. To be a Trinitarian people, to be a Christian, is to know that he brought us himself to bring us to himself. He brought us to himself, to bring us to himself. To be a Trinitarian person is to know God brought me himself, to bring me to himself. That's why we sing the words of the hymn, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin, And open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Some of you know this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And give him the glory. Great things he hath done. I tell you, if you don't know Jesus, today can be your day. He brought you himself to bring you to himself. It's made a way. This is ours in the gospel. I hope you can say amen to that today, church. Let's go to the Father now in prayer.